Well, good morning, Redeemer family and friends. My name is Israel Martinez, and I have the great and awesome privilege to serve here as a lead pastor. And I want to welcome you on this wonderful Sunday, which the Lord has made, and he's brought us together to worship him and have this gospel community together. And so we are doing, as Brian mentioned, some renovations, and so we're under construction, so bear with us when you see holes and things out of place and things unpainted. We're praying, be praying for those details, and we're hoping that um, some changes will be coming here pretty soon. And so um, I'm excited that those um, updates to our building will help us reach our community um, and serve you and those guests that come through our doors in continued faithful Christian hospitality and love. We're going to talk about hospitality today. And so you are all dear to me. I want you to know that, and I am blessed, and my family is blessed and encouraged and thankful to just know you guys and just to love Love you guys and love God with you guys and to live this life together with you all as we're going to talk about being workers of the truth. And so I'm excited uh, as we continue our series in 3 John verses 5 through 8. So open up your Bible, hang out there with me. Um, we have been studying 1 John. Uh, we studied it a while back and we've been in 2 John and we just started 3 John. Um, and they all expound on some of the big uh, similar themes that are found in 1 John. And so as they were written by the same author, the Apostle John, who also wrote the Gospel of John. And so again, we're going to be in John, uh, 3 John 5 through 8, and we're going to see that this beloved disciple of Jesus, John, uh, the one uh, that, that seemed to have the most special relationship with Jesus, um, as he was one of the inner three, but then he calls himself the, the beloved or the beloved, loved, super loved disciple, um, the youngest disciple in that too. Um, John was teaching in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John this big theme of true belief. And so this true gospel belief or true belief in God in what? True belief in love of God's commandments, that we'd actually love his word, which leads to true love of people. That's when we talk about walking in the truth. We're going to talk about that. Walking in what truth? The truth and commands of God's word. And so John was teaching this true gospel belief because he had to refute false thinking and teaching that was... Uh, happening, uh, beginning to happen in the church and some very seeds of some very, uh, I would say, famous theologically doctrines that went and spread throughout the early church. And so to understand this, we have to understand, as we were just even singing, that truth and love are connected. You can't separate them because what you believe determines what you love and what you love in action proves what you really believe. And so the ESV Bible intro of 3 John helps summarize the purpose of 3 John well and, and, and connecting it to 2 John, saying, like 2 John, both letters therefore concern, are concerned with true uh, Christian uh, truth and love, and, this is important, especially today, their relationship to hospitality. And so there are differences, however, in the second letter, the elder, John, writes to a local church, whereas in the third letter, he addresses by name one of the leaders leading members of a local church, and refers to two others. So he mentions of this Gaius and, the, and then Diotrephes, who's, who's bad, and then Demetrius, who's good, and makes the third letter 
uh, more vivid than the second, and it gives us this clear glimpse into the inner life of the first century church. And so the message uh, from 2nd and 3rd John, again, different in that the second letter, the church is warned to not extend hospitality to false teachers who deny uh, the doctrine of the incarnation. And while the third letter, the elder commends Gaius for the hospitality he has shown to teachers of the truth. And he urges him to continue in it and sharply rebukes this diatrophies for his refusal to welcome them and for his opposition to those um, who he wished, um, wished to. And so in this way, the positive instruction of the third letter is complementary to the more negative instruction of the second. And so the two letters, it's helpful, they must be read together if we are to gain a balanced understanding of the duties and limits of Christian hospitality. So the main idea, again, that we're going to learn today from 3 John 5, 8 is that we must be workers of the truth. And so we're going to learn that, that walkers of the truth become workers of the truth. We've been talking about walking in the truth. And so said in a more complete way, we're going to learn that disciples who walk in the truth, they serve, they send, and they sacrifice as workers of the truth. And so let's read 3 John 5, 8 together, and we'll continue. Again, 3 John 5 through 8 says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers. Remember, he's talking to Gaia. Strangers as they are who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on a journey, to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth or of the truth. And so, um, again, in 3 John 5 through 8, um, we're going to look at some other scriptures to support it. But that's where we're going to hang out. And we're going to learn that we must be workers of the truth. We'll learn that walkers of the truth become workers of the truth. Again, said in a more complete way, we will learn that disciples who walk in the truth serve, send, and sacrifice as workers of the truth. And so to help understand the context in 3 John, we must remember what we learned last week, that walking in the truth produces joy, like it actually produces joy and a legacy of disciples walking in the truth. And, and so disciples who walk in the truth will be workers of the truth. So let's look at verse 5. And we see that first, verse 5 helps us see all that John has mentioned in the first four verses of 3 John. Uh, that walking in the truth produces joy and a legacy of disciples uh, walking in the truth. And so we must know that God defines truth and love from his word, his commandments, his word, his statutes. And that's where we learn the gospel story. And so this gospel story does what? It produces a legacy of disciples. That's what John was talking about in the first four verses who continue to walk in the truth through the church. And so we're all part of this legacy today. And by God's grace, we are part of building a legacy for the next generations that will come under us. And the work we do in and for Christ today will not return void. Like it won't be pointless, guys. Every second of your life, every sin that you committed, if repented of, and redeemed, when redeemed by Christ, every sin, every good work that you have done, every tear that you've cried, every laughter of joy will not be in vain. Like it has been redeemed by Christ if you're saved. 
by the blood that he shed and his resurrection in the glorious work of the gospel story. So all our pain and all our joys will produce fruit, not just for us, but for a legacy of generations to come. So know that, brothers and sisters, and be comforted in Christ's redemption. And so to walk in the truth, we must know his truth and love, and we must know that it is based on the gospel story. It's, it's the, the only way we can walk in truth and love and then actually become workers of the truth. We have to be abiding, and we have to love the gospel story and not get over it because God, he worked. We're supposed to be workers, but he was the original worker. He worked for seven, six days, and he created everything, and he made everything good, and he had a plan, and he wrote this beautiful story, and he allowed sin to come in the world. He was not caught by surprise. When man, Adam and Eve specifically, tried to work and gain their own salvation, and their work was pointless. It did not answer. They tried to work and gain the knowledge of God, and God said, fine. This is what it is. And they then understood sin, that they had sin and that they were broken and that there's a chasm between them and God and that they now could realize that they needed God, that they were not God. And that's when Christ comes into the picture. And he did the perfect work that only he could do. He lived and born of a virgin. We're about to celebrate Advent in a couple weeks. And he came and lived a perfect life. And he lived 30-something years of perfection. And then people said, man, that guy's perfect. I hate you. And they... They, they, they murdered him on a Roman cross. And so he, he bled and he died and he was actually dead in the grave. And he was the actual God-man, the Messiah that they were looking for the whole time. The Jewish people, they were looking for him and he came and he died for them and for the Gentiles, us, the rest of the nations. And then this Christ who died. Three days buried, then rose again, and he promised to come back so that now we can have actual, be actual workers of the truth and ones who walk in the truth because he came and said that he came to set us free. He came to redeem us through his resurrection that one day, guys, that we would share with him in glory and that we will continue to work, the Bible says. We will work with him in glory when he creates the new heavens and the new earth because as he ascended, he said, he said that he would come back the same way and that we would reign with him forever and that we will actually rule with him that implies that we are working and doing things with him in a new heavens and a new earth we'll actually have bodies the, the the life we're living now is not all that there is the gospel story is pertinent to us now and jesus said um for our understanding of redemption that yes he would come and recreate and give us the new creation but for now he says, be workers of the truth. In me, walk in the truth. He says, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is here. And he's invited us to play, but he's invited us to repent and believe in him, to love him, to abide in him, to walk in the truth daily. God is producing good work for us, his children. Remember, God is never opposed to us working. He's opposed to the proud who think they work to earn their salvation. He's opposed to that. But God is not opposed to effort. He's opposed to earning, us trying to earn our salvation. And so let's look at, the, at verse 5 where we will see our first point today. We're going to hang out in verse uh, 5 through 6 for the first point for a while. And, and the other points are quicker. So hang in there with me. But we're going to see the first point today that disciples who walk in the truth send as workers of the truth. And so look at verse 5. It says, Beloved. This is John saying to Gaius, Man, I love you, my beloved son. It is a faithful 
awesome thing that you do in all your efforts. It's, it's a good, faithful thing. We're going to talk about being faithful in the little things. He says, it's a fa- it's fa- what's the faithful thing he's doing? He's walking in the truth. And remember, as we talked last week, he's building a legacy of other children walking in the truth. That's how God looks at things. He's not looking at necessarily how big the church is. He's like, how many disciples are actually their other disciples that are walking in the truth? And then this next chunk of disciples will then produce other disciples that are walking in the truth. We're going to sing a song. Our benediction is going to say the Great Commission. Let's go and make disciples. So I pray that you're encouraged now to think of that in your life. But he says, beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey. Send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Okay, so we see uh, Gaius here being a walker of the truth, now being a worker of the truth. We see this practical way Gaius was a worker of the truth. And so, yes, Gaius obviously believed the truth as he worked for God and God's people, the church, who were strangers. And it says that he would send them in a worthy manner. Okay, Um, so let's look at verses 5 and 6 again. John says, beloved. It's this faithful thing you do in all your efforts, in all his working. For who? For these brothers. So these other Christians who, look, next chunk, next little word, strangers. He didn't even know them, but he knew they were believers. So that means there was some relation. Hey, man, these guys are coming, blah, 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 and, and Gaius was ready to receive them. He says, strangers as they are, who testified. So they, then this is kind of like retelling the story. Hey, man, these, these guys, strangers came, and Gaius took care of them, and he, he was hospitable to them, and he gave them money, and he supported them. And they're like, man, that guy took care of us, man. I like that guy. That guy, this guy was awesome. Who was that guy? What kind of human does that? That's kind of what was happening. These brothers, the strangers, were testifying of how awesome Gaius was. And then John says now, because maybe Gaius wasn't sure about, how, like, Am I, I took him in. Um, I did spend some money on him, like, but, but now they have to go. And then he says, you do well, John says, to send them. So we're going to see, again, that disciples who walk in the truth send as workers of the truth. And so he says, you do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. So they, they had to do this, in, not in their standard, not their standard of hospitality, but God's standard. So it is clear that, that John was co- uh, commending Gaius in what? In blessing strangers in hospitality. So that is what actually love is. Like hospitality is a form of love. It's how you express it. You see, the Bible defines hospitality as love towards strangers, not actually people you know. The Greek word uh, used for hospitality has the root philo, which means brother. And so we get our word Philadelphia or brotherly love from the Greek as well. So hospitality biblically is a brotherly, great commandment love toward strangers. That's probably the highest level of hospitality. And and so we also see, and that's the hospitality talk talked about here. So what is hospitality? Hospitality, we're going to talk about hospitality as means to practicing spiritual gifts in the Bible. So Rosaria Butterfield says it this way. Hospitality is not a gift unto itself, but a means. So it's not a spiritual gift necessarily. Um, some people think it is, but it, hospitality is not a gift unto itself, but a means through which other spiritual gifts are displayed. So we see mercy, serving, giving, and evangelizing. So the d- dynamic teaching on hospitality found in, in the New Testament shows that hospitality is rooted in our love for God and brothers and sisters in Christ. And our desire to see all of our neighbors know the salvation of Jesus. 
So when Christians refuse to give or receive hospitality, that speaks of their lack of love. First for the body of Christ, and next for their neighbors, and then ultimately for the Lord. And so while some people define hospitality as a spiritual gift, I think it is better said that hospitality is a means to practice the spiritual gifts, which all Christians are given. And so therefore, all Christians are called to be hospitable. And so elders or pastors are called to be hospitable. Like they have the highest calling. So this is one of the uh, qualifications to be an elder or pastor in the Bible. You must offer up your home and life to strangers and people. So this is one of the best ways to see if a man is truly an elder. Does he open up his home? Is he organized enough to have people in his home? That's, that shows that you, if you can manage your home, then you can maybe step into managing a church. It, it's, that's what it's saying. Does he open up his home and bring people into a home where they feel loved and comforted and encouraged to love Jesus? It's not just a show. And so the next little, little note on hospitality is interesting in the Bible. And so um, we're going to talk about this. Don't let this derail, der, derail you or get hung up on this, okay? You'll miss the point of today's sermon, but it's interesting, and it, it will, I will tie it in to Jesus. Um, but ho- that we see hospita- hospitality towards angels, and then I'm going to tie it into how that attack, attaches to Jesus. And so Hebrews 13, 1 through 2 says, let brotherly love continue. It's all about this brotherly love. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Huh. For thereby some of you have been entertained, have entertained angels unawares. A weird word, unawares, like unaware, you could say. Um, So some people in hospitality are actually entertaining angels. So we see in the Bible that angels can manifest as humans, and we see this in certain parts of the Bible, but Hebrews 13.2 seems to refer to allude to Genesis 18. And so Thomas D. Lee in his commentary on Hebrews says it this way, The writer of Hebrews was not necessarily encouraging the readers to expect always to entertain supernatural visitors in disguise. That's not the point. He was suggesting that some visitors would be messengers from God, like found in Genesis 18, who would bring them a true blessing. So one of the angels in the Genesis story um, in Genesis 18 um, that Hebrews uh, 13.2 refers to was the angel of the Lord. And so many do, and I believe that this in Scripture is what we call a Christophany, which is a fancy theological word for a manifestation like uh, uh, of Jesus in the Old Testament. So remember the word angel in the Bible. It is Malik, okay, which sounds like the name of the book of the Bible, Malachi, right? So all that means is my angel, but really it means my messenger. So angels are just messengers. They're not just like having wings and all this stuff. They can take human form. Um, they're spiritual beings. So angels are generally, the, the main point is they are messengers. They bring a message, Christmas, announcements, stuff like this. And so Jesus makes a point in Matthew 10 and 25, but we're going to look at Matthew 25, um, that what we do to the least of these, may it be angels, unimpressive people that we don't really care about, uh, the strangers in our midst or church people that we don't know well, we do to him. So Jesus says in Matthew 25, 35 through 40. He says this in Matthew 10 as well. But look at it, listen to this. Speaking of judgment of the nations and believers who will be glorified with him, Jesus says in Matthew 25, 35 through 40, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Stranger. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. 
I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when, this is the righteous, the good people, Lord, when did we see you hungry with the real believers and, 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 and feed you or, thirst, or thirsty and give you drink? The righteous don't even remember. And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? When were we hospitable? Or naked and, and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison to visit you? And the king, Jesus, will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these uh, these, my brothers, you did it to me. And so what we do for the least of these is what we do to Jesus. This is the essence of, of the brotherly love of hospitality. And, and in Galatians it says to love, that, to, to make sure that you, you outdo your brother in honor first. A lot of times we want to go just help random people. The Bible is clear and this text is clear. We help each other first. That's springboard. That's true hospitality. So Redeemer family and friends, hospitality is to be practiced practically <laughs> in homes or in giving people lodging, like actually taking care of people. Now, this is the New Testament context in, in Greco-Roman and Jewish culture. Okay, So hospitality what was a really high virtue. Not as high in our culture. We're creeped out by hospitality. We, or we're very selfish with our hospitality. So our context may look different today. I, I, that, that, I understand that. But we should still practice this kind of hospitality. That we invite strangers in. We may offer a stranger a nice hotel room. Doesn't mean they always have to stay in your house um, for the night. We have hotels now and nice hotels. And that might be like, I mean, I want to stay at your house. I want to stay at a hotel. That might be actually more hospitable. Um, but you might bring them into a meal in your home. That's always a sweet thing of someone eating together. You can actually invite them to stay at your home. That might be, that's stretching for Americans, like bringing someone into your home. So Jesus even invites himself to people's houses. That was the old practice, and that may seem weird to us. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today, my little song. He tells Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus don't invite him. Jesus says, I'm going to your house today. That's actually, that may seem weird in our culture, and it kind of is. It's weird to me. But in the New Testament, it was a mark of true friendship. And so I remember as a teenager and in my 20s that I would try to rationalize, like, man, who are my real friends? And maybe some of you guys are in that space. Like, who are my real friends? And so I came up with a thought process that your real friends are the friends whose homes you had been to. So I remember when I was a teenager, like, I'd go play Nintendo or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, I visit my friend's house. And then as I got older, it's like, hey, man, you want to come over? And then when I would come over, then I felt like, yeah, I mean, that, me and those boys, I mean, those guys had a bond. Same thing with a female. If you ever got to, you know, go to someone's apartment, it's like, yeah, we're, we're deeper friends. It just felt, that's what I... That may be true or not, but it, there's something there. You see, I knew a bunch of people, but there was only a certain group of people I knew whose house I had been to, and that did something to my soul. Now, there are all kinds of ways that we're, that we're going to someone's house can be bad and sinful and not a marker of true hospitality and friendship. We, we can understand that. But my teenage self was on to something in that generally, not always, to be someone's close friend or closer friend, you would have to have been to their house. Because coming into someone's home is an intimate activity. And if done biblically in brotherly love, it, it can greatly create and cultivate true gospel partnership and this brotherly love that we are invited to live in. And so we must be practical, like very practical in hospitality and actually bring people into our homes. And so we learn now from the text too that we also must uh, give financially. There is another mark uh, of what financial giving, uh, of 
there's a, we learn here from the text that there's this other um, kind of tie to what hospitality is in the Bible. So uh, to be hospitable, not always, but often and most of the times, it involves money. And so many things in life involve money. And it's a true sacrifice to spend your money on others in true biblical hospitality, especially if they're strangers, right? But biblically and in our text today, we see that we are to be financially giving to missionary strangers. Now, we'll wrap that in. We're not all Gaius, but there's a point for us to learn there. Remember our first point, that disciples who walk in the truth send as workers of the truth. So, um, financially giving to missionary strangers is, is also connected to giving to God's church as um, workers of the truth. And so this does not mean that you have to give to every missionary activity going on in the world. And how we're defining missions or missionary are people that are involved in church planting work, okay? That's what true missionary work should be. Um, and there's what we'd say like kind of apostolic, just meaning things that, get, that is getting started, something that's getting started, which we're doing right here in our church, trying to plant a new church. And there's some things that are even come before church planting in a sense that people don't even know, uh, they don't even have a Bible. And so there's some of that kind of work that needs to happen um, before you can even plant a church. So again, this doesn't mean you have to give to every missionary activity um, that involves church planting going on in the world, but are you giving to someone or specifically to some church. You see, John is encouraging Gaius to give in this way. As the early church was being formed and there were workers that traveled that needed hospitality and financial support, this kind of giving to traveling missionaries was needed. And so we still have this in our context today, but it was more prevalent in those times, like for a random person to just show up. Um, to receive random people at your door is not normal, especially in Texas. Like Amazon maybe, but that's, <laughs> that's the only random thing you get now. Um, usually know who's coming because we can text or whatever, so, um, or it may be a salesperson. Um, but to receive like a random Christian that's coming to your home, that doesn't happen that much. So in our context, we uh, see uh, giving in, in a biblically hospitable way is often done today by supporting local churches or missionaries in those churches. So it's the same as back in John and, and, and Gaius's day, but the main difference is how the people get to your door, right? We don't usually get people, so I often get emails from different churches or organizations that may need a place to stay. Again, this uh, text is talking about Christian working, workers, not just random people. That's where this can go wrong. You're just like inviting all the random people. The Bible doesn't say to do that. You're not Jesus. You can't save the world. We're supposed to take care of our own kind first. That's what the world is going to see is true love. We don't do that enough. We're just like, eh, we don't want to get grow deep in discipleship. But that's what the Bible is calling us to do, to love each other deeply this way. And so, again, um, my wife and I, we are open to bringing people in our home. It's a big reason we bought our home. Now, to be able to use it to be ready literally in a day's notice for a guest or a stranger to stay the night. And, and, and so um, we believe that that's how we can serve Jesus specifically this way. Like thinking of I'm even going to buy my house or set up my apartment or whatever to actually be able um, to invite. And, and I'll throw it out there sometimes. Hey, we got this random uh, uh, church planner coming or something. We had a guy coming from Albania. We've had our pastors come from Colombia. We host them. So I'm modeling that that one day. Um, and other people have done it and hosted it, and other of you guys have done that. But I would encourage you to consider that, like hosting people. So we, my family, me and my wife, we have all the fears any parent or person has bringing a stranger into your home. We have five kids. 
We're not, uh, you know, we're not dumb. But it is usually the trust of another church or another brother, just like John was saying, hey, I can vouch for these, these random people, <laughs> or there's someone's vouching for them. But it's usually that trust of another brother or church that comforts us as, again, we are very wise in setting up our family to be safe and protected when these guests come. We still do that. And so um, our modern fears that we have are not an excuse to do what the Bible says. Again, our modern fears are not an excuse to do what the Bible says. We're to say, oh, that was what they did in those days. Eh, this one is just like, we can still do it today. Our context is different. Um, specifically us here at Redeemer Church Irving. Like, we are in a missionary context here in Irving. If you want to know what it is to plant a church overseas or to go overseas, it, it's the same. <laughs> they still have to wake up. And if you're in Colombia, if you are in Germany, if you are in Africa, yeah, the setting may look different, maybe hotter, maybe colder. You still got to get up. You got to work. You got to go to school. You gotta, people got to do the same stuff. So that's what we're doing when we're planting these fortresses for God churches. You are involved in a missionary work. Every church plant is a missionary endeavor. It is a missionary endeavor to plant a gospel work that will produce gospel workers of the truth. And so our work here in Irving, because of the international flavor of the cultures and people, really should encourage you, Redeemer Church. Like you've been invited to something, to know that you are involved and invited by God in this gospel church planting missionary work. The missionary work we do should always be um, uh, sent from another church and from um, and the work should, that should be happening should be building God's church. So we're sent by Redeemer Church Midland and the Village Church, our mother and father church. The village has something for us tonight as church planners to encourage us. Like they're doing this to me. And they, they, you know, this doesn't happen every Sunday, but this Sunday there's a special thing where they're encouraging me and, and, and Candace. We don't know what it's going to look like, but we're excited. Again, it takes money to support those who do the work of ministry. I, I can tell you, I've been in ministry for a while, and I've been supported by people as a church planting missionary. People literally give to me every month, and I had to go and support raise. And still, to this day, the church, is, I'm, not, I'm not fully uh, paid by the church. And so I literally live this every day. Like, I don't, I mean, I know where my money's coming from, but I don't. <laughs> we have a system. And so now some people will say, yeah, but Paul was a, a tent maker. So that didn't, that he didn't have to raise support. That's not the best understanding of what was happening. So Paul did work as a tent, tent maker, but he still often spurred the church. Go read 2 Corinthians. It's the whole thing is, is, is a support raising letter asking the church of Corinth to give generously. Listen to 2 Corinthians 9, 7, 8. Because each one of you must give as he has decided in your heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So he's tying that money helps us have, like, and being able to give our money and support other Christians. Like, that's a good work. That's what it means to be workers of the truth. That's his big theme in 3 John here. So, y'all, we must give sacrificially, and giving to missionaries and to God's church is giving to strangers. It's a form of hospitality. So we here at Redeemer gave over 15% of our budget, you guys did, last year for God's glory. We gave over $31,000 to church planting missionary work. And so your giving has done that. And also we have walked in faith because we are not self-sustaining as a church. We need financial partners and still have them. I'm doing support raising, church support raising this, literally uh, this last week. I was hustling. And so we are so blessed and we have strong partners that believe in us and support us financially. 
but we are living in faith and by the provision of strangers who do not know us. Like churches and people that y'all have no clue who they are, and some of them don't know me. A lot of them do. Like I'm, in a way, like playing the same role. I'm like these, hey, guys, like we need support, we need help. And then people have given to us so generously. And I'm telling you, this is beautiful gospel work. And so giving to strangers does what? It builds trust and relationships. So some of the people that were strangers are now my friends. Really deep friends. Like when I uh, left my one church a few years, uh, this was like five, five, almost six years ago, I hit the road support raising in two weeks and people, like it was like the book of Acts. People just gave to me and it was amazing. And so I've lived this, trusting like, God, I don't have anything. I don't have a job. I'm going to go support raise. Help me. And he did it. And so that, this is a big part of Christianity because we love money and we like money and we're scared to talk about it. John is really talking about money here. He says, but then, it, again, this money, you, you learn to trust people and, and, and give, but then it eventually goes to strangers in other cities. You guys, have, there's people in Colombia right now. There's people in Germany. There's people all in different parts of Texas that you guys have given to. And we'll never know all, that are, all the people that are giving actually impact. So you guys are actually giving to strangers. I think this is a way we can really practice this today. The church is more built out than it was years ago, right? So we don't get the random guy coming to your house asking for help. Well, you do get the random missionaries asking, hey, man, I need help. I'm doing this thing or that thing. Again, we can't give to everybody, but we can give to the church and trust the church that your giving to the church will be given to strangers. And then you might get a missionary coming to you and say, hey, can you support me? And, and that might be where you need to give to that person because you, you know them. Or they may even be a stranger. But the point is that just continue to give generously. Be encouraged. You guys have blessed people in, again, Germany, Colombia, Texas, literally pastors and church planting that are part of our same network. So keep giving and, and, and be encouraged. And thank you for walking in the truth as you are working in the truth. You guys are actually doing that. You have truly done what Gaius is doing in our text. And you have been hosp hospitable and you've received and you've actually sent people. You may not think of it that way, but that's how, that's what the church does. Like we have a Bible study going on in Columbia with uh, 10 women, new believers learning. And we have two churches in Columbia right now that will gather this morning where there's two pastors because of the work that, that Brian and Upek has done and Andrea. And then we've partnered in there and we're like, God is doing it. We're making disciples. Our children, in a sense, are walking in the truth. Be encouraged. Disciples who walk in the truth send as workers of the truth. So we send by giving money, or some of you may one day be actually called to go. We actually have some people that are our covenant partners in uh, Egypt and in Africa this morning. And so the next text, we look at verse 7 of our text, teaches us our second point. That disciples who walk in the truth, we saw that we were to be send people as workers of the truth. We're supposed to serve as workers of the truth. So verse 7 says, for they have gone out. What does that mean, these, these guys? What are they? They've gone out. It means they're serving God's kingdom. That's another way of saying they have gone out for the sake of the name, for God's name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. This is why Paul was a tent maker, because the church just started. So he had to be a tent maker because he was not, he was working. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. He, he said, church, help me out. Jerusalem church, but he said, I'm not taking money from the Gentiles. So people misunderstand what Paul is doing. He, he doesn't mean he, that every pastor has to be. There, there are some people that are tent that can do that, but the main rhythm that if people have work 
for the church, that they should be supported by the church. Paul is saying, I'm not taking money from Gentiles. That's what, he's, that's what he's doing. So these workers that Gaius supported were serving Jesus as they served the church. Again, it's interesting to note that like Paul, they did not take money from the Gentiles, meaning other nations or religions, because they knew the church was who was support, supposed to support them. These early missionaries knew that. The church is to support its workers. Like being a pastor, being a missionary is actually real work. It's hard. You just show up on Sunday and preach. That's what some people are like, oh, that's all you do? Uh, that's not what we do. We do, we do more than that, hopefully. Um, and so the church is to support its workers. So this is a basic biblical principle, and we see here and in many other biblical passages. Again, our second point is the disciples who walk, who walk in the truth serve as workers of the truth. Uh, so again, we must serve. As we saw these guys were serving, our service may look different, but we are to serve. Serve in hospitality and financially support. And there are many ways to serve. And, and not everyone is called to work vocationally in gospel ministry. That's not everybody's called. And we wouldn't be the body. We wouldn't be the church. But we serve, guys, by just being the church. You guys have done this, and I don't think you realize, so I want to encourage you. Like, you've done this with, with serving and coming here and setting up some communion. Like, that is producing fruit in another land, literally. And so know that. It's not just setting up cups or setting up signs. Like, that stuff impacts people um, that we don't even know, strangers. And, and Jesus is going to say to you, hey, you set up them. Remember, you, you helped me in Africa. You're like, huh? I was just setting up communion cups. What are you talking about? Like, you're not going to realize. And he's, that's, there's deep gospel legacy connections like that. So we're supposed to serve the church. And, and, and just as we've talked, by supporting our church and then other churches. It, it, if our church is giving to other churches, then we're, that's how it works. We can't be everywhere at once. Not everybody's called to go to a foreign country. I think most of us are actually called to do to, to serve our country because we're the best missionaries for Americans. You ever thought about that? So you are the best missionary for an American. You can live like a missionary here. But we can also serve in many ways. Again, there are many forms of service. Here at Redeemer, you can serve in setting up, tearing down, connections, kids, producing, hosting, facilitating, serving teams and team leads as you grow. And then hopefully we will one day inst install deacons and other elders. And the reason we here at Redeemer have different ways to serve is to give you opportunities to grow. We want to bless each other and love each other. And it's a way to disciple each other. God's word says in Luke 16.10, speaking of stewarding and serving, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little, you can also throw in there lazy, is also dishonest in much. Remember our second point today, that disciples who walk in the truth serve as workers. We serve. So sometimes we can be tempted to think little things like serving uh, in setup or tear down or setting up signs or kids or connections or whatever we do in and for the church are not worth our time. Satan will tell you and the world will tell you, your own flesh will tell you that you are more important than serving in kids or setting up for communion. And that's what our church does. Every church does different things. In our pride, we can think that we are better um, than serving here or there or doing this little task or that little thing. You'll be tempted to think, um, but man, I could be doing something better of more value. Do you not know my spiritual gifts? And that may be true, but a true leader and servant of God will start with being faithful in the little things. And sometimes we want to run in the church before we can walk. Again, sometimes we want to run in the church before we can walk. 
And the, and the pastors would be like, I, I need to see you walking, <laughs> you know? We, we, we want sometimes to be a leader of something in the church, and we may be tempted to think that picking up trash or cleaning toilets for the church or other people is below us. And Jesus did the little things, guys. He was the son of God and did the little things. And so we must do the little things too. He washed his disciples' feet, funky feet. He washed them nasty feet. In the old days, they had really funky feet because they wore sandals. If you ever wear sandals, the feet are stinky. So that was a rough job, okay? That doesn't mean we can't do big things, guys. Jesus said we would. But my warning in serving is don't seek glory. Don't seek to serve for your own glory to feel better. And please don't, about yourself, and please don't use the church for that. God opposes the, the proud and gives grace to the humble. The church is not a place for one to build their platform or to make themselves even feel good. That's what a lot of times we can serve. The church is here for us to love and look, to stir each other up to good works. Remember, we're learning about being workers of the truth. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 which is connected to the gathering, connected to the gathering, is to be stirred. We're supposed to be stirred up to good works or stirred up to serve. So it says, and let us consider how to stir up one another. For what? To, to love and to good works. James says, faith without works is dead. Not neglecting to meet together. To serve the church, you have to be with the church. You have to be consistent. He says, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day of the Lord drawing near. So part of serving with the little things is to help the church learn and for you to learn if you can be entrusted with bigger things. If you won't clean the toilet, you'll be worthless in the pulpit. So if, again, if you won't clean the toilet, you'll be worthless in the pulpit. And so when you serve in the little things, the church can disciple you. So you can learn more of your own spiritual gifting and learn what maybe you should not do at times. There's things like, all right, you need to not serve in this area. We love you, but that's not your gift. And to also help you learn or to get better at something that you maybe should do. And, and, but maybe you just need more time or more training or more development in. It takes time. Like spiritual gifts also have a, a way to grow. We are all works in progress, or better said, we're workers of the truth in progress. And so... Serving is what the early church was committed to do. Again, from verse 7, we can learn that our second point today, that disciples who walk in the truth serve as workers of the truth. And so we can serve in hospitality and serving the church by giving financially. And so we are called to give financially and sacrificially as a way of serving God and his church. And we can serve in many different capacities like hospitality and giving financially. And remember, we're the body. We all have different gifts. We're all different people. And so God knows if you um, are serving the church in your, in, your, in your giving or if you're not in this other thing. God knows. This is between you and God in whatever gifting you have. But don't just be like, man, I'm good. Like I, I serve or I give a little money here. I do this thing. So, um, or my heart's not in the right place to serve right now, so I'm just not going to serve. That's not, God wants you to serve. God wants you to have a servant's heart. He wants you to give, not just money, but give your life to the church. And so we are learning today that disciples who walk in the truth serve and send and sacrifice as workers of the truth. And so our last point is that disciples who walk in the truth sacrifice as workers of the truth. This takes us to verse 8, which says, Therefore, we ought to support people like these. John is encouraging Gaius that we, too, may be fellow workers for the truth. So again, this shows us that disciples who walk in the truth sacrifice as workers of the truth. Another way you can see if someone is not in a good place with serving and giving is how they receive. 
So are you receiving what other people give you, or do you always feel like you have to pay people back? Or like, oh, man, no, I'm not going to take that. Or maybe you are just rude in your receiving, and, 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 or, and you're like, man, I deserve stuff, so give me stuff. Maybe you're real selfish in your receiving. And you receive with a thankless heart. Thanksgiving's coming up, so we can remember to not do that. But serving and giving and receiving is an area of discipleship and maturity. This is a deep area of sanctification for the believer. Money can be a grave idol. It's a root of all kinds of evil. So that's one of the biggest things, and that's what uh, John is hitting here. So my encouragement is that you pray um, for God to give you capacity to, sacrifice, to sacrificially serve and give in the church. Remember our third point, and this one's fast. Disciples who walk in the truth sacrifice as workers of the truth. This will just kind of culminate everything we've been talking about. So just like you would pray to be holy in another area of your life, pray to be holy in your giving and in your serving. And to do that sacrificially, the word um, the, the world will say, hoard your money and hoard, hoard your gifts and build a kingdom for yourself. Why God's kingdom calls us to give sacrificially. Because disciples who walk in the truth serve as workers of the truth. So we must learn that we must give uh, sacrificially in hospitality, in financially, and through our gifting. And so how are you sacrificing for others in the church? How are you sacrificing for God's church? Those are some big questions, and we'll land here. And I pray that, guys, we respond in worship, that, that my, our last question is, are we being disciples who walk in the truth as we serve, send, and sacrifice as workers of the truth? Let's be disciples who actually walk in the truth, who serve, send, and sacrifice as workers of the truth. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we love you. Lord, we need you. And so, Lord, just teach us. Teach us that you are worthy of our praise and of our worship to you, Lord. And so I pray, Lord, that our hearts are just conformed to your image today. Lord, that you would just teach us in whatever areas, may it be financial giving, may it be actually serving practically, uh, may it be just this, this hospitality that we need to grow and, and, and learn in and about. Lord, just help us. We love you and need you in the name of the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.